0: Section 24 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit www.librivox.org. Recording by Tracy Ann. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner, Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 6, Part 4. We stayed a fortnight longer in Vienna, but it was by no means a pleasant holiday to me this fatal prospect of war which now filled all newspapers and all conversations robbed me of all pleasure in my life as often as i thought of any of the things of which my happiness was made up and especially my possession of a husband who was becoming daily dearer to me so often was i reminded also of the uncertainty Of the imminent danger which hung over all my happiness, in view of the war which was looming in sight, and so I could not, as the saying is, feel myself comfortable. Of the accidents of sickness and death, conflagrations, inundations, in short, all the menaces of nature and the elements, there are sufficient, but one has habituated oneself not to think about them and one lives in a certain sense of security in spite of these dangers. But how is it that men have created for themselves other dangers arbitrarily devised by themselves, and thus, of their own will and in pure wantonness, thrown into artificial eruption the volcanic soil on which the happiness of this life is founded? It is true that people have also accustomed themselves to think of war, too, as a natural phenomenon, and to speak of it as eluding calculation in the same category with the earthquake or drought, and therefore to think of it as little as possible. But I could no longer bring myself to this way of looking at it. The question, of which Frederick had once spoken, must it then be so? I had often answered with a negative in the case of war, and at this time, instead of resignation, I felt pain and vexation. I should have liked to shout out to them all, do not do it, do not do it. This business of Schleswig Holstein and the Danish Constitution, what did it matter to us? Whether the Protocol Prince abolished the fundamental law of November 13, 1863, or confirmed it, what did it matter to us? Yet all the journals and speeches at that time were full of discussions on this matter as if it were the most important, most decisive, most universally comprehensive question in the world, so that in comparison with it, the query, are our husbands and sons to be shot dead, ought not even to be considered. Only at intervals could I myself, for a moment, feel anyhow reconciled to this state of things. For example, when the conception of duty came directly before my soul, it was true, no doubt, We belonged to the German Bund, and in common with our brothers of Germany, combined in that society, we were bound to fight for the rights of German brothers who were being oppressed. The principle of nationality was no doubt a thing, that with elemental force demanded its field of action, and therefore, from this point of view, the thing must be. By sticking to this idea, the painful indignation of my soul subsided a little— Had I been able to foresee how, two years later, the whole of this German band of brothers would be broken up by the bitterest enmity, that then the hatred of Prussia would have become far more burning in Austria than the hatred of Denmark now was, I should have recognized, even so early, what I learned to know later on, that the motives which are adduced in order to justify hostilities are nothing but phrases Phrases and Pretexts New Year's Eve we again spent in my father's house. As it struck twelve, he raised his glass. May the campaign which is before us in this new year be a glorious one for our arms, he said solemnly. And at these words, I put my glass, which I had just lifted up, down on the table again. And, he concluded, may our dear ones be spared to us. In that I concurred. Why did you not drink to the first half of my toast, Martha? Because I can have no wish about a campaign, except that it may never occur. When we had got back into the hotel and into our bedroom, I threw myself on Frederick's neck. My own one! Frederick! Frederick! What is the matter with you, Martha? You are weeping. And today, on New Year's night? Why then salute the New Year with tears? Are you not happy? Have I given you any offense? You? Oh, no, no. You make me only too happy, much too happy. And that makes me anxious. Superstitious, Martha? Do you then conjure up for yourself envious gods who destroy men's happiness when it is too great? Not gods. It is senseless men who call misery down on themselves. You are hinting at this possible war, but it is certainly not settled as yet. Why then this premature grief who knows whether it will come to blows and who knows if so whether i shall be called out come here my darling and let us sit down and he drew me to the sofa by his side do not spend your tears on a bare possibility even the possibility is terrible to me if it were a certainty frederick i should not be crying so softly and quietly on your shoulder I should have to shriek and wail out loud. But the possibility nay, the probability, that in the year which is opening you may be torn from my arms by a marching order, that is quite enough to transport me with anxiety and grief. Bethink you, Martha, you are yourself going to meet a peril, as this Christmas box of yours so charmingly informed me, and yet we too do not think of the cruel possibility which threatens every woman in childbed about as much as every man on the battlefield. Let us enjoy our life and not think of the death which is impending over the heads of all of us. You are talking just like Aunt Mary, dearest, as if our lot depended on providence and not on the thoughtlessness, cruelty, excesses, and follies of our fellow men. Wherein lies the inevitable necessity of this war with Denmark? It has not yet broken out, and there may still be I know, I know, accidents may still happen to avert the evil. But it is not accident, not political intrigues and humors, which ought to decide such questions of destiny, but the firm, righteous will of mankind. But what is the good of my ought or ought not? I cannot alter the order of things. I can only complain of it. But do help me so far, Frederick." Do not try to console me with hollow conventional evasions. You do not believe in them yourself. You yourself are shuddering with noble repugnance. The only consolation I find is in thinking that you condemn and bewail as I do what will make me and numberless others so unhappy. Yes, my dear, if this fatality should come to pass, then I will say you are right. Then I will not hide from you the shuddering and the hate which the national slaughter ordained on us awakes in me. But today, let us still enjoy our life. We surely have each other. Nothing separates us. There is not the slightest bar between our souls. Let us enjoy this happiness as long as we have it. Enjoy it to the full. Let us not think of the threatened destruction of it. No joy, assuredly, can last forever. In a hundred years it will be all the same, whether our life had been long or short the number of beautiful days is not the question but the degree of their beauty let the future bring what it pleases my dearly loved wife our present is so beautiful so very beautiful that i cannot now feel anything but a blessed delight as he said this he threw his arm around me and kissed my head which rested on his breast And then the threatening future disappeared for me also, and I, too, let myself sink into the sweet transport of the moment. End of section 24. Recording by Tracy Ann.